Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Well, welcome to our on-demand and shared online service, Missio Day Chicago. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful uh, to share in this space at this time with you. I'm very excited for this uh, new year, filled with anticipation. Um, and a lot of that's in light of what was and a deep uh, desire for what will be, for what God is doing amongst us and, and where God is leading us, uh, not in spite of, but in light of, of our time and our moment. I'm excited that this morning uh, we will be beginning a new series through the book of Nehemiah that will lead us all the way uh, to the beginning of, of the season of Lent, this journey towards uh, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm just, I, I, I'm excited that we're, we're here in 2021. Now, with that said, this morning will be more of an introduction to our series. So I'm going to spend some time in context, uh, laying out kind of what the, the book is about so that we have some frame of reference. We don't miss the point of the overall series. And before I even get to Nehemiah, I want to address just a little bit of um, why we are uh, in, this, in this series and why Nehemiah, uh, as we're looking to uh, some form of uh, restoration as a, as a community, as a city, and as a, as a country, some form of, of restarting or recovering or relaunching, just we'll stick with the re's uh, for uh, for this, this morning, but when I think about 2020, I think that it exposed a couple of things, both in society and also uh, in the church as well. It exposed first uh, a deep-seated need. Uh, 2020, uh, in all of it, it just exposed a need, but it also exposed uh, a brokenness. And some of that brokenness is just obvious, and for some of us, that brokenness was just ignored. And for the first time maybe ever, we've had to reconcile within ourselves the reality of the world and the country uh, and the community even that we live in. And so for the Nehemiah series, what we want to do is we want to examine, yes, what we've lost, the things that we lament, the things that we mourn. But moreover than that, we want to examine what God is doing, uh, where God is working, what, the thing, what things are being uprooted. And even in the midst of, and especially in light of, the disaster that was 2020, that's a, a significant question for us. And the reason why I say that is because I believe with the, my full heart, I believe that the church provides a unique space and opportunity for a, a needed world, a, a broken world. That our church should be, and I'm talking here, Missio Dei, uh, Chicago, all of our congregations in our location, as we start thinking about recovery, as we start thinking about what's next, our churches are needed. We're needed to be spaces of hospitality. And some might balk at that and say the church is, is a hostile place, not a hospitable place. And that has not been my experience. In my own journey, in my own story, I've seen the messiness of the church. I've lived through quite a lot uh, of that. But I've also seen spaces where people are welcomed in, where that word of belonging, where you can be and where you can become and where you can be loved as you are, those are spaces that the world needs right now and that we have a unique opportunity to provide. I also think that the church 
has a great hope that is unique from any other institution, the hope of the gospel. We have a picture of the kingdom of God, a place where justice reigns, a place where peace is established. Uh, these are not just uh, um, words that we spout. These are uh, aims of the Christian life. And then lastly, a place for healing. I mean, people are in need of healing. So I was thinking about this um, this last year and then this, this desire to step into the anticipation of 2021. And uh, somebody sent me this article from uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, specifically with the abuse uh, and emotional trauma uh, area. And it's on the stages of recovering from a disaster. And there's six phases. I want to just blitz through this before I even get into to, to Nehemiah. And these, these phases help us make sense not only of our community, but where we fit even in the world. And the first four stages happen really quick. The first one is kind of pre-disaster, when you can see uh, a disaster or difficulty coming. And that time is filled with uncertainty. That time is, is filled with fear, uh, a fear of, of, of loss, of a vulnerability, of a lack of protection. In phase two, which is the impact phase, what was feared has come and the disaster is upon you. This is very rapid usually, it's very fast. It's a, a phase that can cause a range of intense emotional reaction that can be seen in shock or panic, confusion, disbelief that this is happening. And it accompanies a razor sharp focus for self-preservation and for protection of your own, of your family. And we saw this with this concern that people were flooding to the uh, grocery stores. They were stocking up on case after case after case of toilet paper because what would we do without the teepee, you know, type of a, of a situation. Now, this is a very uh, quick moment is there's just a fear and a vulnerability uh, because of a disaster. Now, very quickly coming out of that are, are phase three and four, and they're the heroic and honeymoon phase. And we see this with organizations, institutions, Instagram, social media. The heroic phase is like a high level of act activity, but a low level of productivity, just a lot of talk and a lot of desire to get through this difficult time. The uh, phase three or the heroic phase, there's a general sense of altruism. Many community members have this kind of adrenaline-induced rescue behavior. We have to address this head-on, and then very quickly they go into a honeymoon phase. And this is also a very emotional phase as we highlight disaster assistance that is readily available. Community bonding occurs. Organizations use like hashtag better together. We're going to get through this. A general sense of optimism that everything will be good and return back to normal as long as we do it together. I most certainly had that when we first started in March. This is a two-week thing. It's gonna strengthen our community. We're gonna get through it and hopefully learn some, uh, some things about you know, policy and how we can manage something like this in the future. And here we are months and months and months and months in. Now, during this, uh, this phase, uh, people have the perception of being together, but the shared exp experience is Maybe not the case. Now, whereas this is rapid, uh, the next and what follows is, is, more, is longer. And that's followed by phase five, which is the disillusionment phase. The stark contrast to the honeymoon phase. During this phase, communities and individuals recognize limitations both in disaster relief and their own ability to endure the situation. Optimism turns to discouragement. Stress continues to take its toll physically, emotionally, spiritually. 
negative reactions such as physical exhaustion, uh, substance abuse, these begin to surface, all the underpinning gaps start to fill up. And there's a gap between the need and the ability to administer aid to that need, and there's a sense of abandonment. Also, what you'll find is that the gap between the haves and the have-nots grows as people are continuing to say, I have a finite amount of resources, a finite amount of energy, and I don't think I can, can extend beyond myself. Now, this can last a long time. For me, as I look at 2020, the last six months was this. Just a growing awareness of the implications and reality of uh, our circumstances. And, and that's not just COVID. Uh, this is certainly uh, when it comes to communities, when it comes to cities, when it comes to the growing gap between the haves, the haves not, uh, political persuasion, all those types of things. Now, this is the good news uh, that I think is happening in the next phase. And it is, again, this whole phase thing is about recovery from a disaster. And the final phase is a reconstruction phase, and there's an overall sense of recovery. Individuals and communities begin to assume responsibility for rebuilding, reconstructing, and recovering in their lives and in their communities. And usually this is accompanied by, this is a reality, but also we can give space to grieve, we can give space to acknowledge, not just trailblaze forward in the future without addressing those things because they have a, a way of coming back and, and fighting you or, or, or buying you. So, so we looked at this and we said, let's spend some time in Nehemiah. And I have the, uh, uh, the benefit of preaching first and give some context uh, in Nehemiah chapter one. And the sermon title is a holy longing, holy longing and anticipation, our desire to recover our desire to move forward, our desire to be a community that is hospitable, that's filled with hope, and that seeks healing. Uh, and that's not a Missio Day-wide thing, it's just me preaching, um, is before us. So I'm gonna read uh, a few verses, four verses, and then I'm gonna give some context. I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, Nehemiah as an example of a holy longing for us. But this is what the word says. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th century of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, and Hanni, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had returned from their captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me this, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble. They are disgraced. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed to the God in heaven. Now, uh, it's important for us to know that uh, this, and I'll address the whole wall thing, I understand. That's partially, I think, why uh, they had me have to introduce it because of just the, the complexity of understanding ancient Near East culture and then the realities of the, of the modern world and how we view this kind of rebuilding kind of project. But it's important for us to know uh, what is happening in Nehemiah because we can miss that really what Nehemiah about, is about is returning to the holy. Really what Nehemiah is about is this new movement of what God is doing within the world. And it's a movement from architecture or building and to people. The dwelling place of God is with man. It's really about 
a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, in which God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. Rather than a stubborn, stony heart, I'm going to give you a responsive and grateful heart. So if you would indulge me, I know I'm, I'm quite a bit into this talk. What I want to do is I want to give you a little context. It's going to very much help us understand how does this book fit in our story, but also in redemptive history. So when? It's important to ask. Nehemiah is likely the last book in the Bible, though it's placed just in the middle of uh, the Old Testament. It's the last book in the Old Testament, right before the 400 years of silence. So right after this building project of the walls was complete, there was the rise of Alexander the Great. After the, the world was split in you know, four kingdoms, then gave way to the Roman Empire. And when we pick up in the Gospels, what we find is that the Jews were under the rule and oppression of the Roman Empire. So that's number one. We have to understand that this is to be read before this new covenant arrives, before this 400 years of silence. Additionally, what you need to know about Nehemiah is it's not standalone. For if you read from the beginning and the end just of Nehemiah, you'd be confused. You would probably feel like the story was anticlimactic because it is. You would think, well, sure, they rebuilt the wall, but everybody's already going back to their own way. So it's important to know that Nehemiah is not a standalone. It should be read in parallel with two other books, with Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And actually, Ezra and Nehemiah are one work within two different, two different movements. And what the book does for us is it prepares us for a new movement of what God would do in the world. I've already said this with the new heart bit. But I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. And I'll give you this tender and responsive heart. Because when you're reading uh, through Nehemiah, you're like, what just happened in the narrative of redemptive history or in the Old Testament, right? What we find in, in the storyline of the Old Testament is that there is a creator God who creates a good creation. He instows uh, image bearing upon a creature, which is humanity. And he says that it's very good and their fall happens and everything goes into chaos. And then God begins to reveal himself. First to a person, then he creates a family, and from that family comes a nation that builds a kingdom. We get to the story of David, who unifies the tribes and, and has one kingdom that is this representation of who God is to the world. And of this family and of this nation, they are not only to be blessed by God, but a blessing to the rest of the world. Now, at the end of Deuteronomy, the covenant or the, the way in which we relate to God in the Old Testament was stated. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. If you obey and follow after me, then I will make you a, a people of blessing. My steadfast love will always be before you. But if you choose to disobey me and turn from me, then you will be scattered over the ends of the earth. And is a curse upon you. I mean, the curse of, of living under the weight of our own sin. And what we find is that there's this ping pong back and forth between blessing and curses throughout the whole Bible. That God uh, is faithful despite the unfaithfulness of people. And we see that immediately after David uh, has the, the kingdom that's established, his son Solomon, uh, the kingdom splits. So you have Israel and Judah both of them are unfaithful. And then what comes is this exile in three different ways to Babylon. 
in the book of Daniel, is a, if, you, if you want some light reading, you can read about this exile type of period. And so the temple uh, is destroyed in 587, 586 B.C., uh, the people are, are taken from their land and they're put in exile. The best of the best were taken, put in uh, courts of kings, uh, put in places of influence. But for the most part, everyone had been uprooted and lost their, their space. Now, eventually, after the Babylonians, the Persians conquer them. And that's where we find ourselves right here. Nehemiah, cupbearer to the, the Persian king. Now, in this particular um, uh, uh, movement or narrative with Esther, Ezra, and then Nehemiah is about 100 years, there are, are three different important pieces that are pointing us to God working out a new way of relating to him, God transforming the human heart. The first one was that the temple was destroyed, and so Zerubbabel uh, is able to go and rebuild the temple. It's a 22-year building project, rebuilds the temple, but it wasn't sufficient for the people. Those who had saw the original temple, they wept and they mourned and they said, what is this? This is not, this is in part what we uh, long for, what we hope for. The people rebel, the people uh, uh, desecrate the temple. So the next movement is Ezra. And that's the second half of the book of Ezra. I know I'm giving you a lot. Hopefully you take a bunch of notes. Um, but the second half is, is all about spiritual renewal. We can have the temple but if people don't have the, uh, a, a love for God, a submission to God, a right standing for God in their own hearts, then it will not have any lasting effect. And then the third movement, the final movement, is Nehemiah rebuilding the city wall. And I want to speak to that just a, a little bit on walls. For us, walls are barriers uh, from witness, right? We see Jesus crossing all sorts of barriers, building bridges uh, literally between the divine and, and human, but also socioeconomic uh, barriers, ethnic barriers. Jesus was about dis dividing, literally tearing down the wall of hostility uh, from the temple. So for us, we think about why would we want to put up a wall that would prevent people from, uh, from fellowshipping with us? Uh, and why would we, we celebrate this type of thing? So we have to do our work of just saying uh, that our modern uh, circumstances and uh, idea, uh, understanding of uh, with this is different than ancient Near East. And ancient Near East, and this might be obvious, and I hope that it is, um, but uh, was, a, was absolute, uh, absolutely different. So when, when Nehemiah was talking to his brother, his brother mentioned two things because of the walls. One is that they're in great trouble. And then the second is that they are ashamed or disgraced. And the two, the two purposes of walls, uh, the first one primarily was protection. See, without a wall, people would be uh, plundered, pillage, uh, rape, slavery. People would have been killed. And so there's a protection factor when it comes to a, a particular people. And th this would happen, and then there would be some sort of rebuilding, and then it would happen again. And so this idea of people being completely wiped out because they did not have the proper protection was absolutely a factor. And then secondly was more the disgrace thing, and that was that walls represented what their God, the God that you worship, provided for you. Protection and strength and provision and flourishing. See, without those things, there was uh, a great trouble and was a disgrace. 
So where we find ourselves in Nehemiah 1, and I really have to get moving, is that there's a remnant, they're struggling, the city is in ruin, there's no protection, there's no worship, there's no flourishing. And here the narrative starts for Nehemiah. Narrative theory states that all great stories, stories start with an enticing moment, a defining moment, and here is Nehemiah's. The walls are down, they've been burnt by fire, and it breaks his heart. Nehemiah had everything. One of the few that was, was risen to the absolute top. He had everything at his disposal and he had everything to lose. He could have literally sat this one out, but it broke his heart. See, often the great contributions of our lives, the deep convictions of our heart are fueled by concern. I get this all the time. People ask, what am I going to do with my life? How will I spend my time? How will I leverage my influence? Where will I give my resources? Where will I give my, my talents or the spaces that I, that, that I have? What, what is calling? And I would just say the first question that I'm probably going to ask you is what breaks your heart? What disturbs you? What, what concerns you but then doesn't leave? It just continues to, to haunt your even imagination. The what is but should not be. Nehemiah was in a place of power, the cupbearer to the king. And God used his circumstances to position and prepare him for what he was doing next. Nehemiah returned to the holy, and it was seen in three different movements that I want to just uh, hopefully give to you all in seven minutes. The first was Nehemiah, um, he asked questions. I asked the Jews uh, about the Jews that had returned from captivity, how were things going? I think the questions that we ask of the world and of God will define our destiny, will determine the course of our lives. But we live in a time where we don't ask hard questions. I mean, we don't ask hard questions of ourselves. We don't ask hard questions of others. We ask uh, uh, maybe surface level questions, but boring down to the depth of the problems usually is neglected. We live in a time where we don't ask hard questions nor reflect and meditate on concrete solutions, the cost, the investment, the long game. I think we're flighty with concerns. They can instantly come in and instantly go out. Where uh, we live in a time where we can move from, from concern to complacency so very fast onto the new thing. One author said uh, that we live in a now this culture where there are stories of atrocity, a great injustice, not only in the world, but in our own backyard. And then the announcer says, and then now this, the McRib is back. And I mean, I don't even like the McRib. I don't understand it, but it's interesting and enough to pull me away from the injustice of this world and then inspire me to the, the shamrock shake that is coming. But if we're not careful, we can lose our curiosity and we can lose our care that the needs and the brokenness become interesting talking points, but not opportunities for engagement. Curiosity must be matched with courageous care, and that's the call for us in this time, to weigh the cost and to step in to the future. So Nehemiah asks difficult questions. And then you'd think, here he, he asks a question, he knows what's going on, he's developed somewhat of a plan, I would think, and then he also has the means and the opportunity, but he doesn't immediately jump in. He doesn't want this concern to just come in, like I just mentioned, and then go out really, really fast. 
He is deeply burdened, and it says that he weeps. When I heard this news, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed to the God of heaven. I covered my concerns with tears. Again, another author had said, you know, like, you know when you're ready to step into something, when you have wept for others when it has no bearing on your own life. I think the the way that he framed it was, when was the last time you wept for something or someone that did not concern you or didn't affect your own life? We shed a bunch of tears during this last year, but tears for the other. Uh, that's the powerful tears. That's how the burdens uh, stay. That's how we, we're able to, to see that healing solve. I mean, uh, on my own, I'm going to risk 30 seconds to go for this. Do you know me? I love Harry Potter. Last week in my Zoom call, I had mentioned like the, the crossroads as Dumbledore famous, famously said, Harry, uh, the time has come when we must choose to do what is right or what is easy. That kind of courageous hope. And then I was thinking about those healing tears and poor little Harry who was fighting the basilisk and gets bit by the basilisk, you know? Like death was upon him. The only thing that would heal him were the tears of the phoenix. Maybe that's our vision for this year. We would be the tears of the phoenix. I don't know. But what I do know is this better, more Christian illustration. And it's a story about uh, the 20s and uh, the Salvation Army. And you know, Salvation Army does the most good, uh, has the worst branding um, possible. We don't need the militant. Uh, language, but the uh, founder, William Booth, had sent out some missionaries to uh, the ghetto in Los Angeles in the 1920s, and three years they labored. For three years they, they worked and they tried the methodology of the past and they tried to uh, uh, pronounce the gospel in some sort of like a, a holistic work, and so they have no success, and they write to him and they say, um, it just won't work. We've tried everything. The gospel is just not being received here. So a couple of days later, they received a telegram back from Booth, and it had just two words. And the words were, try tears. Try tears. Have you been moved by the people? Are their concerns your concerns? Are you moved by their distance from a living God and the resurrection life? Are you moved to the degree where you will weep over them? Because the good news for us as followers of Jesus is we know that our tears have value. We know that our Lord bottles them. We know that they have purpose. We know that they help to shape the type of people we long to be. But the lamenting without hope is a tragedy. And so he says, try tears. For the road to revival is often paved with the tears of brokenness. And as uh, John Tyson once wrote, it could be that our tears water the seeds of the solutions that God is bringing into the world through his people in, in our time. It could be that our tears are the precursor for great work. Have we wept? Have we sat? Have we lamented? The last piece, and this is what I would call all of us to before our... our um, endeavors, the good endeavors, endeavors that the Lord has put into us from the questions that we've asked and from the tears that we shed is prayer. It's prayer. It could be that the should be cannot be until God is ready for us to be still and to know that he is God and to follow his leadership. 
Verse five, uh, Nehemiah does this. He says, oh Lord, God of heaven, you are great. You are awesome. You are the covenant keeping God. He then shifts by saying, uh, our people have sinned against you. I have sinned against you. You said that you would scatter us if we sinned, but you also said that you would bring us back if we humbly repented and devoted ourselves to you. So he's saying, this is who you are. This is who I am. This is what I'm longing for. So I want to put that before you and conclude this message. And that is, as we look to recover as a people and as a community, as we look to the great things that God is doing, this new movement and this new day, let us ask appropriate questions. Let us weep over the condition of our world. Let us put those tears and those frustrations and even that anger to the living God and would it motivate us to pray for real solutions, but ultimately that we would have a new heart and a renewed mind. One of the, and I'm gonna just take it, I'm sorry this is really long, but one of the most frustrating things that we have all encountered over the last week and into this new season is the deafening silence of those who would proclaim the way of Jesus in the midst of our capital being stormed, in the midst of lives being lost, in the midst of the uh, disparity of our brothers and sisters uh, when we are not clear and we are not uh, uh, convicted, we are not repentive, we are not calling out or rebuking systems of injustice and, and unhealth. I think that the word for us is would we be willing to return to the holy? Would we allow for the Lord to create in us a clean heart as, as David prayed and was modeled in Nehemiah, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Would you put within me a heart that's responsive, that is willing to go before the king of our world, perhaps, I'm, now I'm getting into Nehemiah territory, and, and put ourselves in a place of risk and vulnerability? that we would actually be able to return and actually be able to rebuild. So it's my prayer for you that you would encounter the living God and he would transform your life in a way that has consequence and meaning, in a way that is not just a status quo, but in a way that makes eternal, uh, eternal difference. So love you and let me pray for you and then we'll continue on. God, I'm so thankful and humbled by this community. Um, the shared plurality and influence and voice, the stick to and grit. Um, and I pray for us to be motivated by the right things. I, I do pray for tears to, to fill um, our lives in the next uh, season, that we not just run quickly on to the rebuild without weeping and lamenting and, and transitioning well. But ultimately, Lord God, I pray for your nearness. Love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.